This is the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss and eternity. This is Sparrows and Wildflowers, episode number 44. And in this conversation, we're hearing from Jessica Santosa. Jess is an amazing girl who is actually a dating coach. And it was really interesting to hear about what that actually looks like, what that means, how she got there, and her philosophy on all that side of life. Jess also speaks really openly about the family she grew up in and being an Indonesian-Australian growing up in Sydney's western suburbs. Her career has been varied from being a musician to a slam poet to today being a social worker and dating coach, and we hear all about that progression. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Here is my discussion with Jessica Santosa. I grew up in a suburb called Campsy here in Sydney, and I think I remember moving in there when I was one years old. Oh, really? And we moved once from 7th Avenue to 5th Avenue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what kind of area is that for people who don't know? Sure. Uh, Campsie is on the Bankstown line, if you catch trains in Sydney. And uh, it is 90% Asian, mm-hmm. or at least different ethnicities um, in Asia. Um, there are also a lot of Lebanese people and uh, Turkish people, I believe, but... Yeah, I remember being really excited that there were that there was a new girl one year, and and she was a white Australian girl, where the rest of us were oh, either Chinese wow. or Korean or Indonesian, like my family. So yeah, I grew up in a very in a very uh, eclectic uh, demographic area. Yeah. And your family is Indonesian, you say? Yes. Yes, Chinese Indonesian. Okay. Um, I'll tell you more about that soon, but. Yeah, I, I, I think I grew up speaking Bahasa and, uh, and then I lost it when I went to school. Oh, really? Yeah, I became a Bogan Australian when I went to school. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, so funny. I've lost my bilingual. Right. Yeah. And like, what are some of your early memories growing up in that environment? Oh, I was thinking about this question, but um, my earliest, earliest memory, because you know how, how at parties we sort of ask this question to each other and I always answer. I remember being, I think, three years old and walking down Beamish Street, the main street of Campsie. Um, and um, yeah, just looking at my surroundings while my mother was pushing me. I think I must have been three years old. Oh, wow. I, rem- I remember that very clearly. And... Um, and in that environment, I think I just, my family were very passionate about food. Mm. So we were always, um, going to different restaurants and my father grew up really poor. And so because he, um, had his own business and was earning his own money, um, we always went to different restaurants and explored, uh, different cuisines, um, mainly Vietnamese ones, which I think that's why I love Vietnamese food now. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. That's so cool. And what was school like for you? Um, I really loved school, I think, because my family life was quite chaotic. My, my parents used to fight a lot. And so okay. at, at school, it was where life was predictable, where um, I could just listen to what a teacher said and try to follow it to the nth degree and then get a good mark. And, and you know, friendships were the day was structured and, and, and I could make friends and just be myself and not someone's daughter or sister or it was really close to my neighbors at the time we we used to live in a block of flats Cute. and they were hungarian and we used to um we used to play with water bombs on our balcony. <laughs> that's cool yeah. so australian that's, yeah. <laughs> so suburban australian yeah totally yeah. and was it like did you grow up in a spiritual or religious environment Do you have an early memory of that or of god yeah that's a really good question i definitely grew up with god in the family lexicon like we we definitely did pray and we were going to the catholic church quite a lot when i was a child Mm -hmm. so i started that whole catholic culture of doing the rites of passage and doing first holy communion and confession and things like that and so funny when i was about eight years old I used to share a room with my sister in our flat and she had the top bunk, I had the bottom bunk and 
I said to her, oh my gosh, I fell asleep and I haven't prayed. And she said, oh, if it's after midnight, the devil's going to come and get you if you oh. don't pray. <laughs> oh, gee. And I was like, what? My eight-year-old heart was like oh. terrified. I was so my, mean. It was, it was terrifying <laughs> for me. And then my mom woke up. She's like, what's going on? Oh. And I said, Gigi said, because I sort of would have called my sister and I still do. Gigi said that the devil will come if I don't pray before midnight. She's like, Jocelyn, that's not true. Why did you tell your sister oh. that? <laughs> So, yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's my memories around that. (laughs) (laughs) That's very cute. And, like, so you enjoyed school, but was that more like an escapism, as you said? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Were you an academic kid? Did you know what you wanted to do? Yeah, I would say that I was a good Asian girl. Okay, yeah. (laughs) I, I... I think my father, the great thing about my parents was that they had crazy work ethic. I mean, just like any other migrant family in that mm. in the Campsy Canterbury area. Um, they come, my dad came to Australia with $200 in a suitcase wow. and just worked dishwashing jobs. And my mother worked factory labor jobs and they just did anything they could to survive. And so they instilled in us strong work ethic so I remember my dad was an amazing driver so he eventually bought a taxi business and my mum supported that with a book with a bookkeeping and she was amazing at that part of the business but we'd stop at a red traffic light and he'd turn around and it would be dad's lecture time so he'd be like oh. girls if you want nice things in life you have to work hard for them you know you can't just spend all your money and think that someone else is going to pay for it for you okay you know he was definitely one to drum in us that you've got to work hard Mm. and I think that um I brought that into my schooling life and I brought it I still you know I still carry it with me as an adult and yeah I believe that if you want to be successful you've got to work hard for it and but yeah no school was definitely an escape for me and I really enjoyed the formulaic nature of school and Mm -hmm. and I loved um because yeah my family life was so not formulaic my my parents were always fighting and because they were so stressed all the time and Mm -hmm. there was no kind of education about self-care that they understood right or no paradigm around self-care so you know they were always working and my dad's idea of relaxing was playing badminton which he was amazing at he won so many trophies for that and um yeah my mother's idea of relaxing was turning up really loud indonesian gospel music okay. <laughs> that the neighbors could hear and yeah and on, on sunday specifically and so um yeah I, in answer to your question i guess um yeah like school and family life were very mismatched to me in my yeah. young head yeah and yeah. did you sort of uh, could you articulate that to yourself as a kid or no, no? I could, it's i'm still i'm 30 years old i'm still trying to figure it out yeah <laughs> So when people ask me about my testimony, I sort of panic a little. <laughs> I don't know how to describe this, but mm. so I think now I'm closer to explaining, you know, what it meant for me to be a child and grow up in that chaotic family life, and then eventually know God. Um, yeah. And what did you see for your own future? Um, at the time, I was very driven, and I, I still am. But I always want. I always knew that I wanted to be somebody. I always knew that. I think I'd, I'd read stories in magazines of, oh, this person. I was like, I think uh, 21, under 21, like these these actors who had made it, they, they'd started acting at 12 years old or something. I didn't necessarily want to be an actor, but the, the, the idea of achieving something at, young, at a young age was very closely instilled in me, mm. um, I think from age nine or something. And so I was really obsessed with achieving something <laughs> and yeah. so you know when I was 12 years old I started guitar lessons and you know I, I was trying to be rebellious in that so instead of you know playing piano like a good <laughs> Chinese kid <laughs> I picked up guitar and did yeah. guitar exams and tried to excel in that and I it's a great rebellion <laughs> exactly right <laughs> and um, I ended up writing poetry and music and becoming a songwriter and I still I think I think maybe in my retirement I'll write songs or something, but uh, it's still it's still something that is part of my DNA. Like, yeah. and I realise now my cousins are also songwriters and musicians as well. So yeah, by age 
22, I had recorded my first EP and had an EP launch and made quite a bit of money off that. And Really? Yeah. And um, I just never, ever, me and music theory never meshed. And so I think that's what held me back a lot. That's so why I went to Hillsong College because I wanted to kind of further my my dreams at the time of being a worship pastor. Oh, right. And then I'm surrounded by people who worked so much harder than I did. And I learned that if I really loved it, if I was that passionate, then I would work even harder. And I just wasn't, I, I just, that the divide was um, so wide for me. I, I realized I didn't want it enough. I didn't want mm. it as much as they did. So that's kind of, I call myself a retired musician. <laughs> so I retired at 24. Um, yeah, right. But um, yeah, no, I, because I was so obsessed with achieving, I was trying mm. to find my thing, you know, my, what is my, my mission and my purpose in life? And I'm going to pursue that with all my heart. And so, yeah, at first I thought it was music and then I fell out of love with music and then I um, picked up spoken word poetry, which is why our microphone is sitting on College Bronze the Prophet. Ah, <laughs> but, it is. But, um, yeah, I got into spoken word poetry when I was 24 and I'd just broken up with somebody and and um, threw myself into that as sort of like heartbreak therapy for myself. And yeah. um, I ended up um, becoming second in the Australian Poetry Slam in the, in the state finals and then I started teaching spoken word poetry and earning $400 an hour. But I realized that wow. I realized that I wasn't that passionate about that either. <laughs> so I was like, I was annoyed at myself. I was like, Jessica, why can't you just stick to something? <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, it wasn't really about, you know, wealth or it wasn't about at the time it wasn't about that, but it was more about kind of being in a, having a magazine article written about me and kind of seeing other people seeing me as a legend. So and I think it, it, it was partly to do with um, my insecurity as mm. a child of not being known, like by not being truly known in an intimate, emotionally intimate way with my family. And, right. yeah. and I think because um, I hadn't connected the dots that it, it's only God that will intimately know me, mm. um, I was, was kind of, the, you know, the counterfeit of that is trying to achieve achieve all this stuff that, that I would finally be worthy of being known. Mm. Um, Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's taken me a long time to sort of put that narrative together and realize that that, that was the reason why yeah. I was like that. Um, and I'm still very driven. I still want to achieve stuff, but I think for different motivations now. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So you mentioned there that you hadn't quite put it together that your value was mm. in God, mm. but at the same time you had gone to Bible college, you did want to be a worship pastor. Yeah. Where did you kind of start to encounter Jesus for yourself? Well, um, that's a really good question. Um, so when I shared my testimony in a very general way, I, I tend to talk about how um, you know, I felt very disconnected from my family emotionally and how they never really understood me and how, you know, my, my high school boyfriend that I was with on and off for three and a half years from 14 to 17 years old, very young to date, and I'll probably talk about that later. But, um, he was the only one who, who truly knew me and I really, that's why it was such a struggle to break up with him because he didn't really, you know, follow Jesus in the way that I knew I wanted to. So I'd always... No, knowing that I wanted to follow God because my parents were very on and off about church. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was, I, you know, as I said, I had, you know, started with the Catholic Church and doing the rites of passage and then freaking out that I was doing the rites of passage in the wrong order. Like that would cause me anxiety as a child. And, oh, really? And, um, and then, uh, then they discovered the Indonesian Pentecostal Church. <clears throat> And I was about 11. And so I started going to that church and getting very involved in Sunday school. And then I started getting bullied in Sunday school, which oh, affected, yeah, the wow. way that I saw church and community. And I had a very sour taste in my mouth from that. Mm. And also my parents had a falling out with them as well. And, and like partly it is my parents' fault in the way that they handle the whole situation. Um, but, you know, they, they were very hurt from what happened. And um, so... Long story short, I, I, I think God's grace showed itself to me in in the sense that there would always be one good role model in all our years of church hopping or all mm -hmm. our years of getting to know a community and 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 um, us deciding we wanted to leave that community. But um, my my Sunday school teacher at that Indonesian church that I grew up in, he 
he taught me that God was omniscient, omnipotent and omnipresent. Like that stuck with me since age 11 because he was really intense about teaching Sunday school kids so we had like tests that we had to do <laughs> and all of us being Chinese Indonesian kids we were like <laughs> really kind of yeah. focused on that we love that <laughs> um, but um, that's great then there was also um, then there were there, there were girls in the church who were around you know 17, 18 and they were these perfect um, Chinese Indonesian girls that had perfect hair and perfect clothes and loved Jesus and would raise their hands in worship and I didn't even know that was a thing at the time and and I'd always admired them because they were so nice to me and they seemed to always smile and have this inner radiance about them and so I think mm. I know it sounds shallow but I think all that combined seeing having kind of consistent role models in those communities emerging in and out of us hopscotching out of different churches I I was attracted to Christianity and I was attracted to what it meant to follow God. Mm. Um, so even if it was a bit of a shallow connection, it was still enough for me to have, just to see its pulling power, yeah, so to speak. So um, yeah, I, I, it was when I was, I'd finally broken up with my high school boyfriend after the HSC and and um, I was so desperate to be known that I, I decided dating around and in a very unhealthy way. and. Mm-hmm. Um, my family still didn't sort of get me and and um, it was at 17 I gave my life to Christ I recommitted my life to Christ in my bedroom oh really yeah. just on your own on my own mm-hmm. my, my sister always had the teen study bible lying around and I'd like kind of sneak it in my room and read the the the, the colored pages about sex and romance <laughs> oh, really? and, and I was just attracted to truth I think I was attracted to truth yeah when I would read those pages because it felt it really resonated with something in my spirit and mm. I realize that now it's the Holy Spirit it was the Holy Spirit in those words but um yeah I was always attracted to you know truth and probably those people and in the word and where God had revealed himself to me in, in little in little aspects yeah so what did that moment kind of in a practical sense look like for you? You're on your own in your room. How did you recommit your life to God? I think my sister, not I think my sister, but my sister had actually been praying for me in her Bible study. Mm. So she was going to an Anglican church at the time. And I think she still really loves the Anglican church after feeling that, you know, our Pentecostal upbringing, our Catholic Pentecostal upbringing wasn't theologically deep enough for her. So mm-hmm. anyway, but she was in the Anglican church, had a Bible study and was always bringing me up in the prayer point section. She's like, oh, well, what do you want to pray for Jocelyn? Oh, I want to pray for my sister. She doesn't know Jesus. So they would pray for me and then um, she'd ask me to come to Hillsong with her actually. And so we'd go to Hillsong and then I'd collect all these um, brochures. I think it was Hillsong or maybe she found them at Kurong and she would sort of leave them lying around the house. And I remember picking up a brochure I think it was either from Kurong or Hillsong. Sorry to both of you, but I can't remember which one it was from. Um, but it said, "Yeah, this is the prayer you pray if you want to give your life to Christ." Mm. And I think I, I really, I was attracted to, I don't know, the graphic design of it and, <laughs> and the, yeah. the words that I understood that resonated with me. And and um, I think I tried to pray the prayer like before this moment, but it was never really the right moment for me. Or I'd, I'd keep kind of derailing myself by my behavior and my actions. So yeah, in terms of that moment, I'd pulled out that brochure again and just followed the prayer. Mm. <laughs> so I think it's literally what it looked like. Um, wow. Yeah, so it was I quite magical. Yeah. I think sometimes things that are profound, particularly in a spiritual or deep sense, can look unglamorous and yeah. simple and it's good. So going back to your like career progression, mm-hmm. You'd pursued music and had success mm-hmm. and then spoken word and had success. Can you mm-hmm. unpack those a bit more? Like, well, <laughs> that's pretty crazy. What did they look like? Um, uh, I mean, had success is, is a really lovely way to put it, Rachel. <laughs> in my eyes, I wasn't that successful. I mean, in the mm-hmm. sense of, you know, my, my mother and my father, because I struggled so much financially mm. that to them success looked like making a full-time income of yeah. whatever it was that I decided to pursue. So my mother, you know, she was she was quite a softer Asian mom mm-hmm. in the sense of, you know, if you want to go pursue music, go for it as long as you can stand on your own two feet financially. So um, I, I knew that with music, if I wanted to keep making music and I wanted to keep 
say, recording an album, which was the plan at the time when I was about 22, 23, um, <clears throat> it would mean investing a lot of capital into the next album. And I honestly didn't feel like I was talented enough or, or that I was a good enough musician or songwriter. And also, like, as I said, you know, seeing people around me at Hillsong College working so hard for it and who were so much more talented than I was, I was like, do I enjoy the process of the hard work enough that I would continue to do this until I made mm. it? And deep down, the answer was no. A- mm. And even though I spent a lot of my youth with my guitar in the lounge room of my of my mom's house, singing and writing songs and having random recordings on what was then my MP3 player or you know cassette I, I used cassette tapes back in the day to record mm. some some you know new wow. songwriting things yeah um yeah so I think that's what success looked like to me to make a full-time income off something and I mm. couldn't with music and or I didn't want it enough and then with spoken word poetry I think it was also being around really really talented writers and what the linchpin was for me was seeing how even the most successful spoken word poets were still struggling just to make rent Mm. that there's there's still a I don't know if I can call it a bitterness but there's still a sour taste in my mouth about like how a lot of creatives can't make it like they 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 really struggle to make it um and that's what connected me to business because I realized that you know whatever you do you, you can actually create a business out of anything I know that now but um maybe a for example, a, a girl who's so I know this I know of this artist who is a really talented um, sketch artist. Mm. She's amazing at like sketching the face of a lion or just sketching anything. And um, an entrepreneur entrepreneur worked with her and said, "Who's your ideal customer?" And she realized it was bankers. And so she started to direct all her marketing towards bankers that would have the money to pay her for her amazing artwork and that's how she made it that's how she made it as an artist and so I think my natural left-wing self um because I was also a social worker at the time and I thought I would be able to be a musician and a social worker a social worker to put money in my pocket for my creative projects Mm -hmm. and um um I think my philosophy at the time couldn't reconcile like giving my soul to a banker in order so that I could live full-time off my art. <laughs> sure. I don't know yeah. if that makes any sense. I think you're a yeah. creative as well. You probably mm-hmm. relate to some of that, but yeah. um, I didn't want to sell my soul, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought there was better ways that I could make it. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's the best way for me to unpack it that like I found, I found it very dreary, the future of being an artist and, I was quite cynical about it for a long time and felt very bitter that why has God made me a creative? Why couldn't he make me an investment banker? This is not fair. Oh, really? (laughs) I would literally think that. You like resented that you were wired that way? Uh Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. And I still am walking through that. I'm still like, God, why couldn't you make me a good accountant or something? (laughs) Like so many Asian people are accountants. Why couldn't I be that? (laughs) Yeah. um, Then the other linchpin for me was seeing how the whole spoken word scene in Sydney, they're, they're such a beautiful community and I'm still friends with a lot of them today and mm-hmm. they dominate, I think, 80% of my of my Facebook friends, like a lot of them are just people in the poetry community. But while they're amazing writers and, and they know how to create a metaphor like no one else can, um, there's still huge emotionality and lack of wisdom when it comes to life. Hmm. And I found that very frustrating as someone who kind of was, was, was obsessed with um, accumulating as much wisdom that I could. And, and you know, I love proverbs and, and I just, I found a lot of holes in the romantic philosophy of Adele and Taylor Swift and all of the <laughs> romantic poets. I'm like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. if you had, you know, don't call someone a thousand times Adele, what's wrong with you? Like, I, just, <laughs> I just started to feel embarrassed for artists and, and and their lack of wisdom when it came to romance or when it came to wow 
I don't know, just doing life. And, and I found that that's, that's where a lot of artists get their inspiration through heartbreak or through yeah. things being difficult in their life. Life, And I thought, it's self-inflicted drama. Like, why can't you just be better at life? Like, just, <laughs> so anyway, I started to project that onto myself and I didn't want to be that anymore. And yeah. I, I'm not saying that every, every poet is a hopeless romantic and that they're foolish when it comes to love, but at the same time, a lot of them were and a lot of them, um, I just didn't want to... I just didn't want to, you know, follow in those footsteps. I wanted, mm. I wanted something better for my life, and and I was heading that way in in terms of my reading list and in terms of what I was soaking my brain with. I wanted, I wanted better for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what did you do <clears throat> to get that better for yourself? Great <laughs> question. Um, <laughs> well, I think that's what leads to the whole dating coaching thing that okay I just I knew I wanted to be a writer so at 20 the front end of 2016 the back end of 2015 front end of 2016 um I was I quit my job as a youth worker I was earning forty thousand dollars a year I won't share who I worked for but um they were a Christian organization that mm-hmm. my boss didn't even get paid he was a missionary wow. <clears throat> so I, I would feel like an asshole um, asking for a raise. I thought I could say that on the podcast. <laughs> just, just X me out. Um, so um, I was frustrated that I had an honours degree from Sydney Uni in social work and I was earning such little money. Like yeah. I was struggling to pay for things. And so I started to become more interested in business and economics and, and how to be an entrepreneur, how to make this, how to make it work with having an idea and making money off it. Like, what do I do? And so uh, I was doing so much with this NGO. I was a youth worker, but I was also the one that created their website. That was their fundraising campaign manager. I'd raised $20,000 in a matter of maybe two months. I'd raised 20,000 leading these projects on my own. And and so I'd I'd mobilized this whole, um, this kind of, micro community to raise all this money with me mm. so whether whether that be through crowdfunding campaigns or applying for grants and stuff anyway so raise that money and i to to now to people who would um interview me to be a fundraising manager twenty thousand dollars in two months is not impressive i now realize that <laughs> but it was to me at the time half anyway. of your annual wage so. yeah, yeah exactly exactly so um uh, i was frustrated at the lack of money i was earning and then because I was hustling so much for this organization that was earning that, that where I was earning so little, I thought, mm. well, stuff this, I can, I can do this myself, this entrepreneurship thing. I'm going to give it a crack. So I'd saved up a few grand, moved back in with my parents. I'd been living with, um, with, uh, a few girls in Surrey Hills at the time. And I'd moved back home to save money and I decided to start a blog. So I decided to start a blog cause I just dreamed of being a writer and I still love, I think writing has always stuck with me mm. to this day, ever since I was a child, writing short stories on my computer on the family desktop and my sister making fun of me to like now. Um, I just wanted to write about anything and everything and I had no idea what I wanted to write about, but I just started writing. So I started going to the same cafe, Brewerista's in Glebe, holler to Kevin if he's listening, but <laughs> he, um, he really supported me in my dreams as cafe owner. And he um, encouraged me to start a group. So I started, I started this writer's group and I would write the short stories um, at this cafe. And I started to publish these stories, short stories on my blog. So if you check out datability.io, um, if you go right down to 2015, you could see the short stories that I used to write. Awesome. And you'd be like, this is really random. What does this have to do with dating? But anyway, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I started writing stuff and then it didn't get many, it didn't get many eyes on it. And then I started writing you know, how to deal with your negative emotions or seven ways to deal with this or seven ways to deal with that. And mm-hmm. like really got clickbait titles. Yeah. I just wanted to try. I just wanted to experiment and see if anyone would, would read them. And then slowly my following grew from like zero to 100. And then now it's grown to thousands of people, but mm. blog wise and Instagram following wise. But I like, uh, I found that if you want to figure out what you want to do, you just need to start. I mean, please make sure you've got enough money for, for to make next month's rent. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but um, you know, living with my parents helped that. But I basically wrote every day full time for six months in 2016, 
and then until I ran out of money mm. and and because I had a few spoken word poetry teaching jobs that I did like at schools and stuff and I was trying to make a business out of that and that didn't work then I ran out of money and then I I was like okay well I failed and I felt like such a loser and I was like I'm such a loser I've, I've run out of money and it's like the lowest point in an entrepreneur's life when they feel like they failed mm. but then when they get out of that that's what makes them stronger so yeah I went back into social work and took the job that offered me the most money mm-hmm. so I took that job and they gave me a company car and I thought I was winning at life at the time and finally had enough money to um publish my first uh, collection of poetry oh so wow. that's available it's, I don't think it's available anymore on the website Rachel I'll give you a copy if you want <laughs> yeah I'd love that but um yeah so I had uh, started to create, like learn what it was to create a product and sell it Mm. online and how to promote that and market that. Yeah. And um, I think that's also when I realized I wasn't that passionate about poetry anymore because after I kind of published the book, I was like, great, I've done that. And I realized I don't even like doing this anymore. (laughs) It's it's not a, it's not a, like a hard work process thing that I um, want to endure. It's not, not, not that it. I think that now as a dating coach, there are, there are certain um, hardships that I endure as a dating coach, but I, I love them more than the hardships I endured in, in the other projects mm. I was doing. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's Mark Manson that says, what is your favorite flavor of crap sandwich and do you want it with an olive? <laughs> so like, what kind of torture do yeah. you want to, do, do, you, do you love um, working through? And mm. so... Um, I really enjoy solving problems when it comes to romance and listening to girls crying when they've been heartbroken or, um, yeah, I think it's, that's sort of how I found it. But in terms of how I, I eventually landed on dating with, with blogging, it was just trying, just writing about anything and everything. And then, um, I was I, actually at Hillsong college, I was, I fell head over heels in love with this guy. Um, he was an American. I won't say from where, but he was an American. <laughs> yeah. And I thought he was the one. Um, I was 26 years old and, and I've been praying for a husband for a long time. And I thought, Lord, you know, this is it for me. I've met this guy. He's the one. Make it happen for me. Why is it happening? Why is it happening? And then... Were you together or you just no, liked him? Well, he was... He had strung me along for about six months saying mm. that we were, in a, we were going to be in a relationship, but he wasn't sure and... He was um, just never sure of me and his indifference was still enough for me to keep hanging on because yeah. I thought one day he'll turn around and realise how, how amazing I am and mm. he'll commit, but he never did. And so I was so heartbroken at the time and that's when I sought the help of a dating coach, my own dating coach called Matthew Hussey from the UK and I had... Um, I knew that no one in the community would really support that or would think that was a good idea. They, they would, a lot of Christian, a lot of the Christian dating culture still is, oh, why are you going to a non-Christian for dating advice? Like, that's so ungodly or that's so unbiblical. Or, what would he know? He's not married, la, la, la. So I would, I would be, I think I was a student volunteering at um, or serving at the at Hillsong Conference and I was, I remember being under the covers, watching these YouTube videos from Matthew Hussey, like well into the night. I think I'd watch them for like two hours on different ways to increase attraction or how to be more confident or um, the male mind, the secrets of the male mind. And I eventually spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars on his programs. Like I'd, and now I've met Matthew Hussey twice. He probably doesn't remember me, but I've I've got two photos with him and my, my boyfriend, Tom, he's also met Matthew Hussey as well. And we have a photo of three of us together. It's really funny. (laughs) But um, yeah, so Matthew Hussey had a huge impact on my life. And I, and I started to realize why, why don't, uh, why don't Christian single women have access to this information like mm. there what why is there such a huge gap in the kingdom of god about dating so i decided to fill that gap after two years of um following matthew hussey um his advice completely bearing fruit in my own life in 2016 i believe it was 2015 2016 i had been asked out by 17 guys mm-hmm. and and i wasn't even on any of the apps i wasn't on tinder i wasn't on it happen at the time i was just going to gigs or performing as a spoken word poet and a guy would just 
ask me out straight away or <clears throat> and these were guys in the church as well I'd been going out I'd been uh, like letting myself be more open to getting to know different people even if I even if I wasn't immediately attracted to the guy I just let myself go on the date and give it a go mm-hmm. and um, I started to learn more about men I started to learn that they were just as human as women are yeah. that they are as clueless as we are <laughs> and they deserve a lot of grace and so do I and um, I just started to enjoy being a single woman who dated a lot (laughs) so yeah so when that happened for me I started blogging about that because my girlfriends around me were sending me screenshots of text messages saying what do I say to this guy and I'd I'd be like don't ever think that send this so they would and then it would work and they'd be like you're really good at giving dating advice I'm like it's because of Matthew Hersey but yeah I started writing um on that blog sort of writing about my dating experiences and, and obviously keeping the guys anonymous because um, that would be horrific if I was like, there's this guy called Tim, he's horrible. <laughs> he's 35 and from Hillsong. No, just kidding. So, <laughs> there's no guy called Tim. But, um, but um, yeah, I I really enjoyed the living the life of a single woman who dated a lot and writing about it and also the community around me reaping the benefits of reading about that experience and them being blessed by it and even my my pastor at the time she she was very supportive of my blog and would recommend it to other people and um you know she would comment on my blog uh, on every blog that i wrote and and support me and i was like okay mm. well maybe this can be a thing and started giving dating advice to people in my church community and i became the local dating coach <laughs> um, <laughs> So, so that's how that started. Yeah. And what does it look like now? It's grown from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in terms of uh, the growth of uh, of the comfort blog, now I've changed the name to Datability. Um, I experimented with a banner ad on my website. I think my friend at the time she said to me, "You should just like offer fifteen minute coaching sessions for free." So I was like, okay, cool, I'll just do that. So I so I wrote on my website, you know, 15-minute complimentary coaching session with me or whatever. So a lot of people actually opted in for that, but I didn't take it seriously. I was working full-time as a social worker and completely overwhelmed with all, all the responsibilities of my life and my time that I didn't take it seriously until this girl from the UK um, wrote to me and she said, you're the only Christian dating coach that I can find on Google that I oh, wow. that I want to talk to. So would you, I would love to do your 15 minute session. And I was like, oh my gosh, a girl from the UK wants to be coached by me. And I, mm. I felt so inadequate. I felt, I didn't believe in myself at the time. And I mean, when you start out, you're always kind of battling with your own self-belief mindset. And um, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna go for it. I'm just gonna do it. So I, so I met up with her on, on Skype and um, I think I fumbled my way through like talking to her and, what's now called the love readiness assessment i think i just called it a i don't know a complimentary coaching session and and then talked to her and at the end of 30 minutes not 15 minutes um she was she was like how much is it i'd love to be coached by you and i think i made up a price at the time i was like um it's um fifty dollars a month <laughs> so, so i i did that and She's like, oh, okay, and she she wrote she wrote notes. So she she wrote out how much it was in her own, in her own notebook. And inside, I was freaking out, going, I can't believe she's going to pay me to coach her. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and, um, so when I got off the phone with her, I was like, crap. So I like quickly created a separate page on my website, in the mm. shop page on my website, and you know where the coaching would happen. And quickly like found a photo of myself and like put the put like created that from scratch out of nothing and in 20 minutes time so that I could send her a link so that would look official enough so that she would think I was legit enough so she would pay me so then yeah so that happened and then um yeah so uh this this girl she's still a friend of mine now like so after she graduated from the program so to speak um she's doing a lot better her mindset's changed she's dating a lot more now she did have a relationship and then decided it wasn't right for her but it's mm-hmm. it hasn't you know completely destroyed her she's definitely in a very much in an empowered mindset as a single christian woman mm. and doesn't doesn't kind of have that negative self talk she used to have so 
<clears throat> like to me she's definitely a success story mm. and um then my second client came from Albania then my third client came from the US and then then I started coaching everyone around Australia and I was like I'm an international dating coach how yeah. did that happen <laughs> the internet yeah wow. I guess um so yeah it's really cool to I think when I signed up my second client from Albania I was like I don't even know where Albania is like how did I yeah. get her but I think it's just the magic of Google and blogging and I think having I, I can't recommend enough that if you're you want to start an online business blogging is definitely the way to go mm. it's very time consuming but if you love writing and you're not sure just just blog just start and you'll figure it out you, mm. it's just about consistency and you know having a group of people around you that believe in you and cheer you on and I definitely had all those ingredients and I still I don't think I've made it yet like I, I feel like I'm still a baby entrepreneur and um, there's so much I need to learn but you know right now I th- I'd say in my arsenal my business coach is my greatest cheerleader Kat Miller shout out to her she's amazing mm. <laughs> um, and she's been my mentor for the last five years and she's uh, you know she's she goes to Hillsong as well she's a woman of God and um, I've started to develop more kind of people on my A-team that, that mm. cheer me on and now I work as a business accelerator for Global Sisters um, and yeah and, and all that combined creates a a stronger stead of I can do this yeah yeah, yeah. wow and then when it comes to like the the content and the advice that you give and mm. things that you write mm. I mean obviously you've been influenced by um was it Matthew Hussey yep and then your own experience and I'm guessing your faith and maybe other stuff you read yeah like can you talk about that and even tell us like what is your what is your kind of philosophy overall on yeah. dating and on that scene and <laughs> yeah really really good and big question yes. <laughs> it's a big one um so I, I try to prepare for that but um I think that the main thing is we've tried to nail our tagline and our tagline which hints at our philosophy is we equip satisfied and seeking singles with hashtag romantic intelligence or RQ so mm-hmm. it is ultimately not about getting the guy or for a man to get the girl it is about because even though that happens and that's a byproduct of your work on yourself um at the end of the day that's not when we the curtains the curtains go down and we say congratulations you've made it like it's not about finding the person um it's about creating this amazing life for yourself where you're a safe place for the heart of your romantic partner but you're also a safe place for people in your family and your friends that you created a, a, a community of intimate relationships around mm. you um, that you are your own powerful and amazing entity that you're happy with your life and you're happy in your life um, but that you know relationships are like a mirror like they I'm sure you know this better than I do Rachel but like they they don't fix your problems i think a lot of people go into relationships thinking marriage will fix their problems or so i've heard um when really it's going to magnify the things the ugly things in you so um when you work on yourself um a great relationship is almost the reward for the work that you do on yourself because if you're single and you're realizing oh okay as I grow in self-awareness I realize that I lash out at people when I'm angry or when I'm stressed I make people feel really small or um, and if you start you start to work on those things and you also develop a skill set of what it means to uh, fall in love and take care of the heart of your partner um, you yeah you develop this repertoire of, of emotional and romantic skills Mm. Um, so in a nutshell, <laughs> it's about being romantically intelligent. Mm. Yeah. That's so cool. Did you coin that term or is that um, a thing? It's on Google. So okay. <laughs> there are books about it. Yeah. But, um, I was actually thinking of how, like, I think I was with a client one time and I said, it's not about getting the guy. It's about being, making romantically intelligent decisions. Mm. And she was like, oh, what's romantic intelligence? I was like, well, I guess uh, mm. I, so I sort of realized that romantic intelligence is emotional intelligence but also having this 
have being well versed about what it means to date and mm. and be as con- the most confident version of you and what it is to be a safe place for your partner and understanding the, the male mindset or as a man understanding understanding the female mindset and how that complements yours and how men and women can work together mm. how, how they're better together yeah if you could give kind of one or even a few little pieces of advice what do you think is really <laughs> key that people maybe need to know that they don't yeah i um i think this is the perfect place to to talk about the four archetypes of dating so mm. um we've we've been developing this um you know my team and i about the the dating archetypes so there's four archetypes of women i spoke at a conference at unleash your freedom on the weekend and um i really started to refine uh these four dating super babes i call them um that i've i've realized in my work as a coach that they're that the women that i coach tend to fall in these four categories and at the same time like no it's not the bible so if they don't feel they're they're one type they they can mesh with another just like with any human thought of human humanly conceived personality test or whatever yeah but um i i really don't like giving generic dating advice and this Mm. is why i talk about the four archetypes so for women it's there's the cinderella so the cinderella she is the beauty in hiding uh she is loyal and supportive and very amazing at 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 being a great friend to everyone around her Uh, but as a woman she hasn't learned how to really step into her femininity and her bombshell confidence that she could have as a woman um and she often gets friend zoned because she's afraid of stepping into this identity Mm. um so a lot of actually a lot of my coach a lot of my coaching clients are cinderellas and we often work on i i i want to say to them you know don't apologize for your presence you know step into impose yourself and say you're welcome <laughs> like you're yeah. welcome i'm here like i want her to be a little bit more narcissistic you know I, yeah right um i say that as a joke but you know what i mean yeah so, that's a cinderella then there's the cat woman the cat woman says things like i really had the opportunity to be single <laughs> like she's she's kind of always in a relationship um because she is the beautiful girl next door and subconsciously attracts men or subconsciously attracts a relationship um and her struggle is in communicating what she wants because she doesn't really know what she wants she's still working on that um but she's always kind of she's sort of afraid to be alone as well and and needs to know she needs to have a period of what it means to be single and what it means to be her own self Mm. then there's the the bachelorette and i became the bachelorette in my own single life so yeah she's the first one on the dance floor at a party the one buying you tequila shots and having the tequila shots with you on your birthday and um you know she's the life of the party and and attracts men wherever she goes because she's this gorgeous bombshell but but her her downfall is that she could potentially play with many hearts at once if she's not careful so she needs to set some ground rules for herself she needs to say to herself okay if i'm going to accept dates from guys one two three and four mm. i need to have a boundary of i won't be physically uh affectionate with any of them mm-hmm. so you know i'll make it a uh you know i'll have three coffee dates with each of them and it'll be purely an, an emotional connection thing and um to to then also make a decision because i my my guy friends really confronted me when i was because i had I'd been accepting dates from four guys at once before I committed to Tom, but he he said to me, "I don't want to share you anymore. So if if it's okay with you, I'd love I'd love to be with you, and I want you to make a decision." And I was like, "Sure," and my heart said yes. So I knew that, but I had I had to learn how to be honest with each of these guys about where I was at, and that was scary for me. And mm-hmm. I so I said to them, "Hey, I'm." seeing other guys and not just yourself and i want to make an informed decision about who my life partner should be i'm not Mm -hmm. just gonna say yes to somebody just because they take me on four dates like i want to be sure of of who i want to be with um and then there's a wonder woman and the wonder woman she's the strong independent career woman who's fantastic at her job like she's she's a killer in the boardroom like she's she's so successful and and naturally very sexy and challenging uh to potential suitors um but her trouble is that she 
she is so independent that she hasn't learned to be humble about it, that she she could go even further in her life if she allowed a partner to come in and help mm. her out. Yeah. That she deserves a break from saving the world. and But she's like, but I'm self-sufficient. I can create the IKEA plat- um, fat, flat pack on my own. <laughs> but, I can, but I can pay for dinner, but I can do this and I can do that. I'm like, yeah, I know that you can, but it's going to be so much more fun if you let if you let someone else take care of you for a change. Um, so those are the four dating archetypes that I found. And, you know, some people are wonder, wonder cat women or some people are wonder women Cinderella's, even though that sounds opposite, but they are. And mm-hmm. so when I do the love readiness assessment, I'm asking questions that lead, that help me understand, okay, which archetype does she sort of fall into? Not to categorize them, but just to give a framework to myself of where best to direct her. Because I, you know, I believe in... Um, people should not be following generic dating advice but actually understanding themselves and how Mm. how do they embark on this dating journey that suits them and their journey and their personality of how god made them uniquely um so the other thing that i often talk about and i'm still writing this book is the five foundations to attract your mr right and i want to create a a male version of it as well but i'm still working on the male for the four male archetypes as well Mm -hmm. but um in terms of the five foundations so as i'm assessing a woman i think of her character so you know her character is all about her identity capital like what is she proud of in her own life mm-hmm. and um you know what's her level of confidence what's her self-concept um does she live a life that's bigger than her desire for a relationship mm-hmm. that is so important and that's yeah. something that i struggled with especially so i really connect with that point um you know, you often I say you have permission to create an amazing life with or without him. You know, so the best example I like to give is it's that woman who dreams of building homes for starving children in Africa out of shipping containers, and that's her mission in life. And so if she's dating now, it's a lot easier to find her Mr. Right because she knows exactly what she's aiming for. Um, then there's crew. So I think of you know, who are your three closest friends? Who's walking with you in your life? Do you have emotionally intimate connections? Do you know how to love and be loved? Do you know how to be there for somebody? Are you a safe place for people right now in your mm-hmm. life? Um, then I think about charisma. So with charisma, it's about, you know, what is her energy like? You know, how does she show up in the world? Does she have slouch shoulders or does she have a confident posture? Mm-hmm. Um, that's really important. It doesn't. It does not matter her weight or the way she looks or her fashion sense, but does she have a confident energy about her? Cause that is the sexiest quality a woman can have. Mm. Um, how, how comfortable she is in her femininity. Um, then I look at counter strategy, which is what is her philosophy of how she is meant to meet her Mr. Right? You know, a lot of women say things like, oh, Australian men, they're so passive, they don't approach you. And I'm like, honey, it's not about them approaching you. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it is, it's a two-way thing. Like it, there's nothing wrong with you meeting a guy at a party. And so seeing a cute guy at a party from across the room and going up to him and starting the conversation yourself, just because you make the first move, it doesn't mean you're pursuing him. He still has the space to pursue you depending on how you do it. But yeah, the, the philosophy of how it's meant to happen is very important for how we date mm. because mindset's everything, right? You know, mm-hmm. the, the way she thinks I was meant to meet him. Because for me, when I was a single girl and before Matthew Hussey, I was very much like, am I meant to meet him at uni? Am I meant to meet him at church? Um, oh, it didn't happen for me. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? So I started to look inward and think there was something wrong with me when really it was my mindset was so rigid and I, mm. I didn't see the possibilities if I just opened up my mind a bit more. Mm-hmm. And once I did and I had more grace for men and I realized that once I started starting conversations from nothing and wherever I went starting conversations, that's when all the date the date office started rolling in. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I get it now. Men are terrified. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think about her, her dating experience, whether she's romantically experienced or inexperienced. Mm. Um, and there's a... A level so it's, it's what I call self-development dating so when I was you know in my kind of 
when I was 27 years old and getting asked out a lot and going on dates, that was my period of self-development dating. I needed to like, I needed to develop a first date cheat sheet for myself. Like, what does it mean for me to go on a first date? How do I successfully have a first date? And once I sort of became good at that, it almost became formulaic to me. I became too good at dating. Like, mm. guys would always want to see me for the second date, even if I had no interest in, in them at all. So people might be listening to this and going, what an awful person. Like, <laughs> how dare she, like, pretend that, that she likes somebody when she doesn't. But really, it's... I see it as um, rewarding a man for his bravery in the sense of it's really scary for guys to ask girls out. Yeah. Ladies, I want you to know that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so I wanted to honour the fact that he had been brave enough to ask mm. me yeah. and to honour him, honour the hour that he had scheduled for me, in his, you know, for our date. And, and also he honours my schedule as well and to, for us to have a good time in that hour. But if he's absolutely repulsive or rude or I, I'm not afraid to leave the date early I've done that mm. in the past a guy said a very not nice word to me about women in general and I was like I don't like that and I'm gonna go home so I did I got mm. up and I just left <laughs> he was like what are you doing and he tried to walk me home and save face and I was like no I just don't I just don't tolerate this sort of stuff anyway mm. I'm getting off track so <laughs> and then the fifth C so we've we've talked about character crew charisma counter strategy and the last one is compatibility mm. so and that ties back into character in terms of you know um, once you know yourself really well inside and out mm. you then know who will compliment you best and so for me I know that I'm a huge extrovert I love people I love parties you know, I'm I'm the quintessential bachelorette, but um, I can be. So that that brings itself unique challenges of, you know, I've had a, a lot of insecurity about am I a good friend? You know, I, I, I tend to be the one who hijacks a conversation talking about myself because I get excited. So I've had to learn how to pair back and, and really be considerate and ask the other person how they are and be supportive. And anyway, so. I've learned that as an extrovert, what suits me best, what's most compatible with me is an introvert mm. because I'm, I, I love when a guy is strong and silent, which Tom is my boyfriend, because he's so introverted. I'm so curious about him. I'm like, oh, you're a mystery. I'm going to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So he's, he's naturally more intriguing to me because he's yeah. introverted. Um, and we complement each other really well because he loves who I am because it's so different from him. Mm. Um, yeah. When, when you know yourself, you know who is compatible with you. Mm. You have more of an awareness about that. Yeah. So those are, those are the five C's. And for guys and girls, like individually, what kind of specific advice would you give to each gender? Ladies, be gracious towards men. They're just as clueless as you are. Give things a go and don't take yourself so seriously. Don't call a spade a spade until it's a spade. And what I mean by that <laughs> is that... Um, we often, as women, I find that if, if a man is giving you a lot of flirty attention, he takes you out on three dates, it doesn't mean you can assume exclusivity. You are waiting for the conversation or you're waiting for yourself to bring up the conversation at the most opportune time. Um, and I want to say to the man that, unfortunately, you might not, not like hearing this, but it is your job to conquer the pain of rejection. It's your job to Put yourself out there on the line put yourself in no man's land and be willing to take the bullet um, and by what i mean by that is um, the more risks you take the feeling of rejection will dissipate it'll lose its power over you the more risks that you take because um, let's face it anything worth having in life takes hard work and so if you want to be in a relationship with the woman of your dreams um, you do need to risk yourself because love is risk and the risk of vulnerability is absolutely worth it. it it'll look different for each of you but um the vulnerability in this area of your life is a necessity and it is totally worth it so good thank you for sharing that and so if people do you want to um, find out more and do potentially want coaching so mm -hmm. you've got your instagram and your website yep yeah. And there's a... So my Instagram is at underscore dateability. Dateability spelled D-A-T-E-A-B-I-L-I-T-Y. So date 
ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my website is datability.i for igloo and o for octopus io. Perfect. Yes. Nice. And then coming back into your personal story a bit more, mm. I'd be interested to hear, like, in terms of your faith journey and, and your life overall, has there been for you something from the Bible, whether it be a figure or a particular scripture, a particular story that's really impacted and influenced you? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, in terms of a character, Jacob, I really relate to. Mm. I know that sounds really random, but um, I think Jacob went through a period of feeling like he needed to prove himself a lot mm-hmm. you know, with the wrestling with the angel and then fighting seven years for Rachel and then realizing it was Leah that he married and then fighting another seven years and then being obsessed with significance um and that that's that's I, I relate to a lot of that because I mm. think that's me um and that ties perfectly into Psalm 139 one um you have searched me O lord and you know me mm. you, know, you know when I sit and when I rise and um, I think I've always struggled to be known by the people assigned to me, I guess, on this earth. So, you know, I, I, I never felt like my family really knew me and it's not really their fault. They were migrants from Indonesia and was, was struggling to survive and, you know, in a way didn't have that luxury to help their child pursue her passions. Like that, that wasn't really a thing for them. They were focused on survival. So I've had a lot of sadness about um, not being known by the humans in my life. And so, mm. like, I think that's where I really connect with God, knowing that he knows me, he, he knows me so deeply and he loves me. Mm. And um, actually that's a new revelation of mine because something else I want to share is the Tim Keller quote from Mar- Meaning of Marriage. Um, you know, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial but to be known and not loved is our greatest fear um but being fully known and truly loved is what we need more than anything it is a lot being it is a lot like being loved by god um in the sense that he's agape unconditional love you know it being fully known and truly loved is uh is what liberates us from pretense so liberates us from uh, pretending to be someone we're not, mm. you know, like me, trying to prove myself in order to be worthy, to feel worthy of love, or um, what humbles us out of self-righteousness. So it humbles me out of needing to be right all the time, or proving to someone how hurt I am, um, and and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. So when I'm when I'm lo- when I know that I'm fully known, truly loved, I have backing, I have support, and I can do anything because I've got my relationships around me mm. um yeah i think that that whole knowing thing has been a real key word for me in my mm. relationship with god that intimacy with god is where I, I refresh my batteries um to to give wholly of myself and to to um labor labor for the kingdom or labor for for um Cupid. (laughs) (laughs) So good. And I mean, maybe you've just done it there, but um, holistically in terms of your faith and in terms of your work and your life, how would you kind of sum up for us what it is you believe? Yeah, I think that it is uh, about being fully known and truly loved. Yeah. And if we start from that secret place of intimacy with God that's when we become very forgiving of other people's imperfections Mm. and I mean I think that's the place where I start that's the genesis of where I have a lot of grace for Tom when he when I'm really emotional and I really need him to support me and he just doesn't have the capacity to at the time or he he fails me in that sense and and I don't expect that of him anymore he's not God like so I think um, I think starting from that place of intimacy with Christ is where we all should be and want to be, even if we don't realize it yet. Um, but that's the that's the place where we start, where we can, you know, achieve our dreams or, you know, make a million dollars or be as successful as we want to be. I think, yeah, being quite grounded and also also smashing it at, at it at life starts mm. from a place of intimacy mm, yeah it's beautiful 
And then what are you kind of hoping for the future? What are you dreaming of for next? Okay, I wrote this down. I was like, oh, gosh, I'm going to write this down. Okay, so this is what I've said. I've said um, besides getting engaged to Tom, we've been doing Prepare and Rich, and um, he is – I know that he's the love of my life. He is my soulmate. He fully knows me, truly loves me, and we are – you know, he's my best friend. I love him. And so obviously getting engaged and continuing our life together – Um, I said to him, I was preparing for this before I saw you, Rachel, and I had had said to him, you know, to marry Tom and have his babies. And Tom was like, whoa, don't say that. (laughs) um, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, But I've also said, you know, for dateability, it's it's to build a full throttle matchmaking service. Ah. Um, You know, I've been researching more about matchmaking services, and I think that God is leading us there, and I still have to pray about it, but... It's what I'm envisioning for the future that wow. that walks closely with clients through the dating process and supports them throughout the first few years of marriage. So maybe we'll partner with Preparing Rich. I would love that. And also to create a curriculum around romantic intelligence to build up other coaches and for me to start, you know, dreaming for the business and to start expanding that. Mm-hmm. Um, for every church in the country to back dateability, especially pastors in supporting single people in that season because mm-hmm. you can get really lonely because it does and um, to bring heaven to earth in my little way <laughs> wow I love that